0: Our message tonight is in Psalm 102 and verse 18, a passage I read for you this morning. A people yet to be created, Psalm 102 verse 18. Let's all stand together as we reverence the reading of God's word. This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven the Lord viewed the earth to hear the groaning of the prisoner. To release those appointed to death. To declare the name of the Lord in Zion. And his praise in Jerusalem. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. You may be seated. Psalm 102 is another psalm that speaks often about a person who was advancing in age. We do not know the name of the author of this psalm. But we are well familiar with the situation that he describes. In verse 2, he says, Do not hide your face from me in the day of trouble. Incline your ear to me in that day that I call. Answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke. My bones are burned like a hearth. My heart is stricken and withered like grass. So that I forget to eat my bread. He goes on, verse 5 because of the sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin. I'm like a pelican in the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. I lie awake. I'm like a sparrow alone on the housetop. He describes the feeling of bones that burn. Many of you probably can identify with that those burning fiery sensations of pain in your joints, muscles, nerves and bones. We we know that feeling. He speaks of how his days are consumed like smoke. We'd call that going up in smoke. We we know that feeling. It's just like my days are just they're gone up in smoke. His heart was full of turmoil. So troubled that he'd lost his appetite. I'm telling you what, if I'm too troubled to eat, I am troubled. But it could also mean physical infirmities. It is uh, actual suffering from heart pains and all the things that goes along with that. He speaks of being like a pelican in the wilderness. Which means he feels, or a sparrow alone on the housetop. These are things that are out of place. One writer called them uh, being lost in familiar places. It's that eerie sense. I know where I'm at. But all of a sudden everything has changed and nothing feels the same. Uh, That disconcerting feeling being lost in a familiar place. Worst of all, there was a nagging feeling that God was chastening him. That somehow in all of this, what he saw going on in his world and his culture... What he saw going on in his own life and his family, the days of trouble that were upon him. Somehow he understood that God was chastening him. Verse 10 Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away, my days are like a shadow that lengthens. We know about those lengthening shadows. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever in the remembrance of your name to all generations. See, the psalmist could see God at work in his life. He could see God at work in the world around him. He could see God's judgment uh, falling upon people. And even, yes, falling upon his own life. He could see it. He could also see God's hand of blessing at work. And how that God was still faithful and, and God would still be known. So that while there was this promise of of restoration that he'll speak of in this passage. We saw that in our text. Um, There was also the premise of a people who would return to him. Of a nation that would turn back to him. That would honor him. That would gather together in that glorious assembly and lift their praises before the throne of God. And as a result of that then they would become a, a letter Something written down for generations to come. Uh, I've told you before that I, like many of you, grew up under the preaching of the second coming of Christ. When uh, Israel was uh, reestablished as a nation in 1948 after World War II, uh, this kind of preaching exploded uh, all over America. I grew up absolutely convinced that I was a part of the last generation absolutely certain that Jesus was going to return in my lifetime. Now, a part of that kind of anticipation is absolutely true and biblical. And so let me say again, as I have multitudes of time before, I absolutely believe that Jesus Christ could come at any moment in time. And I would say, like we say, even like John said of old, even so come quickly. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Oh, yes. Do we l- believe in the coming of Christ? Absolutely. Do I believe it could come in my lifetime? Absolutely. Folks, this is written into the fabric of the New Testament. God intends for all of his people throughout all of their generations to anticipate the return of Christ. Theologically, we speak of this as the doctrine of imminence eminence, which means that though obviously Jesus Christ has not returned yet, and here we are in 2022, yet in the the doctrine of eminence suggests that he could have come at any time, that he presented that coming at any time, at any generation, at any moment. That may seem contradictory, but I want to share with you just a couple of quick passages of scripture tonight. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Looking for the blessed hope. And glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So follow his teaching. He says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men not some. All. All men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. And it is teaching us that we should be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works and so we are to maintain a healthy anticipation for the return of Jesus Christ we'll never wake up a day In our lifetime, however long we live, we'll never wake up on a single day that we can't say, wouldn't this be a great day for Jesus to come? Yes, we are to live our life in anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are to live our life with the awareness of our responsibility to pass on the faith to generations behind us. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, Paul said to Timothy, and I, I remind you this is his last letter. He said, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Passing on this faith To other generations is not an easy task. Timothy, there's going to be some hardship to endure. You're going to be a soldier of the cross. Your task is to please him who called you to be a soldier. And one of the things that he wants you to do. Is take that faith, Timothy, that you've learned from me. From Paul. And you pass that on to other men. Who will in turn be able to teach others also. Are we looking for Jesus to come? Yes. Do we believe he's coming soon? Yes. Do we believe he's going to come in our lifetime? Yes. Do we pass on the faith to generations beyond us? Yes. See, Paul taught both things. Paul, of course, is long since dead. So is Timothy. I know they're in heaven, yes. The people that Timothy taught are dead. The people who were taught by the people Timothy taught, <laughs> they're dead. I, I could keep going that, but I'd get, I'd get my tongue tangled and I'd mess it up. Uh, we could add a hundred generations in there who were taught the same truth that Paul taught to Timothy. I'm thankful to be one. Of those who was taught that same truth. So were you. So while we are anticipating the return of Christ. We are also continually. Responsible for passing on. The faith. I'm afraid. That our zeal for the return of Christ. Has flourished along the way. To the point. That our burden. For future generations may have waned. I don't have hard facts to present on that other than I just remember how things have progressed, how things go along. I remember growing up in the late 60s when I first was old enough to start listening to preaching on into the 70s, on into the 80s. I remember. I wonder. If we didn't, along the way, get so zealous for the return of Christ, so convinced that He was going to come in my lifetime, that maybe, maybe, our zeal for successive generations, passing the truth along to them, maybe waned. When I began to speak, as I did this morning, of our children's 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 children, I. I can almost see, I could see it in your eyes if I had my glasses on. I, I, I know some of y'all are thinking it. Oh, listen, oh, I mean, Jesus is going to come just next 10 years at least. This world can't keep going on another 10, 15. It, it, he, he's got to be coming soon. My children's 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 children. Jesus is going to come. I can see it. I sympathize with you because I believe he's coming soon too. What if it's another hundred years? What if we're wrong? What if we're wrong on the parable of the fig tree that we put so much stock in? That when Israel was regathered as a nation, that that generation would not pass into all these things. What if, what if we missed that? We were, after all, the first generation that interpreted that parable that way. What if we missed it? What if there's another hundred years? 200 what then you say well the time is short the time's been short for a long time now First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 29 Paul was talking about marriage they had been asking him you know in light of our current situation should we even allow our, our children to get married and this is back in the days when parents actually had some say over that uh, and uh uh, so Paul responded to that, and he said, For this I say, Brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. The time was short back then. Revelation 22 and 10, he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Revelation 22 10. The time is at hand. Time's been short for a long time. My question for us tonight is, what if God has plans for generations yet to be created? I could have preached this this morning, would been there to about 1230 or so, so I, I was merciful and saved it for tonight. This was the main thing I wanted to get across to us. What if God has plans for generations yet to be created What if we don't see Jesus return in our lifetime? Will we have written down God's truth? And this is not the kind of writing that is done with pencil and paper. It is the kind of writing that we do through our stories that are passed on from child and and, uh, from person to person. uh, Your family stories, my family stories that we hand down from generation to generation to generation. And many of you, like me, you have a family of faith that goes back generations and generations and generations of your people that have loved Jesus and served Jesus and lived for them. Are you writing down those stories, not on pencil and paper, not putting them on your hard drive on your computer, but writing it down by sharing them with your children so they know who their family is they know what they stand for? Some of you may not have been uh, a part of a family of faith like that. Your, your heritage of faith might have started with you. Great. You can be the first one to write the story for your family. What a privilege that is. and What a story it can be. The story of your family. The story of your faith. Of your people. How God is at work. How God works in nations. How God Promises to work in our nations and our community. We pass this along to generations yet to be created. So what are the kind of things then that God wants written down for generations yet to be created? Uh, Verse 16, when the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. This shall be written for the generation to come. And the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. For he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord behold the earth. What was going to be written for generations to come to read? That God rebuilds the ruined. How's that for a message? God rebuilds the ruined. God can take that ruined life. God can take that ruined marriage. God can take that ruined family. God can take that ruined reputation. God rebuilds the ruined. What a story. God appears in his glory. Oh, one of the amazing things I've seen over the course of my life is how many situations God can show up and get glory in. I mean, it's just amazing. He wasn't expecting it. Man, I thought this was going to be a tragedy. And there was God. showing his glory, God appears in his glory. God hears the prayer of the destitute without despising them. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. How many prayers do you think God hears from the destitute every single day? He doesn't despise one of them. He doesn't say, I can't believe you're here asking me for help again. (laughs) No, God doesn't do that. Uh, He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise them. God watches then and is keenly aware of all the things that appear and happen and go on on this planet. God looks down from the height of his sanctuary You look around at everything that's happening in our country today, you'd wonder why God would look. You'd think he'd turn away. But he's watching. He is keenly aware of what happens on this planet. The psalmist says, this will be written for the generation to come. What else? Verse 20, God sets free those bound in Sin To hear the groaning of the prisoner. God, you see, is in the chain-breaking business. Sin is a binding, blinding power that works in the lives of so many multitudes. When you think about Samson, uh, just hooked up and harnessed up to, to be treated like an animal, grinding out the grain, eyes gouged out, he's blinded. And there he is, bound and just grinding away. Folk, the devil has multitudes of people on that same grindstone tonight. They're grinding through life. And they're enduring all the pain that their sin brings to them. Jesus Christ can set you free. And he will. God delivers those who are in bondage to death to loose those that are appointed to death. The New Testament speaks of how God delivered those who all their lifetime were in subject into bondage because of the fear of death. I'm not going to stand up here and boast tonight that I'm not afraid of death. I'm doing pretty good. I'm up here preaching. I might drop dead before this sermon's over with. And if I am, you can tell everybody I died doing what I love to do. I say like my mama said, I don't fear dying. I fear what I have to go through to get there. I'll tell you what I don't fear. I don't fear what happens after death. Because death's not the end. God delivers those who are in bondage unto death. All we have to do is look around at what's happened in our culture in America over the last two years to see that many people live in a paralysis of fear when it comes to death. They're terrified of it. Terrified of it. They don't have to be. God can loose those that are appointed to death. You say, who's appointed to death? We all are. We all are. It is appointed unto man. Who wants to die. And after this. The judgment. God gathers them people to worship and praise. To declare the name of the Lord in Zion. And his praise in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the, the songs of Zion were famous. When they brought the. Children of Israel captive to Babylon. The Bible says that those that held them captive compelled of them a song. And they hung their harps on the willows and said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? They were famous for their songs, the songs of Zion. We still are. We declare the praises of God then when we gather together in worship and praise. We pass that on to another generation. Then verse 22, when the people are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve the Lord, God uses people when they gather together to serve and advance his kingdom. Write that down. Write that down. So it can be read for generations yet to come. I brought up Gen Z this morning. Those born between 1995 and 2010. Many of you in the audience tonight are in that age group. Josh McDowell has written a great book titled, So the Next Generation Will Know. I want to share a couple of his observations with you tonight. He said today, most Gen Z's move into adulthood with little exposure to the gospel. The majority are either unaffiliated, another religion, non-Christian, or have a nominal Christian background. Current surveys have found that as many as 98%, depending on the survey, I've seen a bunch of them, 98% 98% of young Americans do not have a Christian world view. They don't. He said, What is killing the church today is focusing on keeping Christians within the church happy, well-fed, and growing. So that our mission is no longer about those who have not crossed the line of faith. Go into all the world, Jesus said preach the gospel he encourages a focus on relationships he said this and I like it he said relationships are the one are the runway on which truth lands relationships are the runway on which truth lands take time to listen with empathy monitor from a place of wisdom demonstrate your concern. If we want them to know the faith, we have to teach, model, and incarnate truth in our relationship with them. That's kind of why we shy away from relationships. It's hard to keep the real us out of sight as you get close to people. That's the whole point. From a place of relationship, then we can address challenges keeping them from truly hearing the gospel. You see, we've, we've got too much of the gospel imprisoned up in ivory towers. They need to see the gospel in the lives of real people. They'll figure out real quick we're not perfect. If they had any doubt, <laughs> we'll show them real quick. I've never forgotten having my, my oldest daughter, Christian, brought some of her friends over, and they came into our house, uh, I guess, with a certain degree of awe. And I, I saw them kind of looking around, and, and, and one of them asked, y'all don't have any candles, or didn't I ask, he made a statement, y'all don't have any candles. I guess she thought we was a monastery. I, I really, I think that's what she expected. We're going to a pastor's home. It's going to look like a monastery. You know, they're going to walk around and have Gregorian chants going on. And I was sitting there barefooted in a pair of shorts and drinking a Diet Coke, uh, watching gun smoke. I, I. McDowell suggested that we must rethink our approach like Paul did on Mars Hill to address those who have absolutely no background in Biblical truth. He speaks of cultivating then a culture of invitation by creating tools so that people feel comfortable and in inviting friends all the time. Relationships are the runway on which truth lands. I've watched a couple of speeches and a testimony of Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. Some of you may be familiar with her. She's written a book that's called The Gospel Came with a Door Key. I have ordered it, but it has not come in yet. Yes, I still have an affinity toward paper copies. The Gospel Came with a Door Key. She describes how she was saved. Though she was very radically... Uh, a liberal uh, person, a lesbian, uh, absolutely an unbeliever. And yet she was uh, came, made the acquaintance of a pastor who lived nearby, began to invite them over. They didn't argue. They didn't fuss. They just talked, visited. The gospel came with a door key. Remember that Jesus famously talked about the ninety and nine. And how that the shepherd, the good shepherd, would leave the ninety and nine faithful in the fold to go out and find one. Of all the things that could be said about that parable, don't miss the most obvious. Never underestimate the power of reaching one. Reaching one. One is valuable to God. This one was valuable to God. Your one is valuable to God. Never underestimate the importance of that. But when that one is lost, that's the one that you find. It will take time for us to build relationships, especially if we're doing it cross-generationally. It's difficult. It's hard to do. But it can be done. It's risky for us. uh, It's it's tough for us to open our homes to to other people and invite someone over. Or invite someone out for for lunch if you're not uh, really keen on inviting somebody in. Relationships are the runway on which truth lands. When you read the gospel accounts, you'll see Jesus doing that kind of thing over and over again hey Zacchaeus I think I'm going to come to your house today let's go eat together how many times did Jesus do that and I'm not talking about necessarily although there's room for that Especially if it's someone maybe new in our church family that we haven't gotten to know very well. And inviting them out and, and taking them out to eat or inviting them over or trying to build a relationship with them. But folks, if, if we want to make a difference in this generation, we're going to have to learn how to reach across and stretch out a hand to somebody's different than us. Their political beliefs might not be the same as ours. Their whole lifestyle may be completely different than ours. You say, well, look at the way they're living. Yeah, look at the way they're living. They're lost. They don't know Jesus Christ. Don't know a thing about what the Bible says. Relationships are the runway on which truth can land. The gospel came with the door key. The generations that are yet to be created, the psalmist says, For peoples yet to be created may praise the Lord. Put this down. For the generations to come to see it. People yet to be created. The last thing I have to add to this tonight is this observation and a quote from Adrian Rogers. Who very famously said, anybody can count the seeds in an apple. But only God can count the apples in a seed. Remember I said never underestimate the power of one? You see, every person of this whole generation that's coming behind us, every one that's lost, it, we're just not just losing that one. We're losing all the ones probably that are coming after them. And how many more are there? How many millions more? But if we as a church family and Certainly we could spread this and encourage other churches and other people to do the same. But if we as a church family could adopt, to, could adopt and embrace this passion. To do it prayerfully. Because it's going to take a lot of prayer. To do it biblically. And we've got the Bible knowledge. To do it purposefully and intentionally. To reach across to somebody who's different than us doesn't know Jesus Christ build a relationship with them invest time in them and someday maybe be able to share the gospel and see them saved it's quite a task but it can be done and it is after all what Jesus Christ sent us to do to go out into all the world and make disciples of every creature Those are the things that I wanted to share with you tonight as kind of a summary to what I said this morning. Some more practical things. And I hope you picked up on the things that I really wanted you to pick up on. But tonight, maybe this message is not just about you, but to you. Maybe you're one in this age group that you've been a highly skeptical person. You don't know about your faith. You don't know about this whole issue of faith. I'm here to tell you that God, the creator, God, maker of heaven and earth, compacted himself to the span of a virgin's womb, wrapped himself in human flesh, came, was born among us, lived among us, died on the cross, was buried, three days later rose again, and he did it all to give a message. Whosoever, that means you, believes on me, should not perish, but have everlasting life. So that God gives you the promise of eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. Have you received that? Have you received it? As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to those that believe on his name.